we have lots of those moments throughout the year where there's sort of a lot of spending and then the restriction after it. And to me, one of the healthiest ways to um, engage with that is to come in eyes wide open. Let me just look at what I did spend and look at it kind of neutrally. No denial and no fantasy. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. I've been wanting to talk about money on the podcast for a long time, and I just hadn't found the right guest yet. But I knew that I really wanted to tackle this subject because it's something that is such a fundamental part of our lives and something that I don't think we talk about very openly in our culture. So a lot of us, myself included, enter into adulthood with a truckload of student loan debt with without a really good financial education to lean on. So we feel overwhelmed and undereducated. We're facing a pretty difficult job market. It's difficult to figure out how we'll even be able to afford rent so that we can live on our own. And it's just a huge part of our daily lives. And it can bring up so many different emotions that are challenging, like shame and fear and guilt and anxiety. Plus, we have all of these stories and messages and beliefs that we take from our families and from the culture that we might not even really be consciously aware of. So I was thrilled to get to talk to today's guest, Megan DeBoer. Megan is the founder of Tended Wealth, a business that helps individuals heal their emotional and practical relationship to money. As a certified financial recovery counselor, her approach considers the context of our current financial circumstance, our lived experience, our family of origin, and the broad culture that shape our beliefs about money. She is passionate about transforming this fundamental part of our lives from shame and overwhelm to a sense of agency, clarity, and potential. Today, Megan and I talk about being avoidant when it comes to money, how to deal with some of the difficult emotions that arise for us when we try to turn towards our financial circumstances, and also how to work with a part of us if we are feeling really disgusted by economic systems and like we don't want to be a part of them, but at the same time, we know that just burying our heads in the sand isn't the answer. I got so much out of my conversation with Megan. You should definitely check out her website, tendedwealth.com, to check out all of her resources and find her on Instagram at tendedwealth. Megan, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Victoria. It's lovely to be here. I've been wanting to have someone on to talk about finances and money and our relationship to those things, especially in young adulthood, when you're just starting to kind of um, step into financial, well, if you're lucky, you're stepping into financial independence, um, maybe after high school or after college. And I was really struck by your posts on Instagram and your blog, because you really talk about finances in a holistic way and the feelings that are associated with conversations about money and the shadow side and all of that. Mm. And so I was actually interested to start by asking you, what were some of the stories and messages and beliefs about money that you took in when you were growing up as a kid mm. and an adolescent that you brought into early adulthood? 
Yeah. Um, so that's such a, such a good question. And, um, and I think it's, it like just having this conversation is so important and so important for all of us to be having more regularly. Um, because we don't talk, you know, we talk about money, you know, not having enough or um, how expensive things are, or we, we sort of talk about it abstractly, but we don't talk about it honestly and how we feel about money. Um, and so the more we can normalize this conversation and give space for those beliefs that may have been kind of lurking in our minds and not shared with other people to, to see that either they are not as true as we thought, you know, when we were younger, um, or they are outdated now that we are in a different situation. So talking about beliefs is so important to me in my work. Um, and so when I was little, um, I didn't have a lot of awareness about money growing up. I mean, like I didn't have to think about it a whole lot in my, in my childhood. I was um, raised in a really, really small town and we didn't really have any stores and the, uh, the tiny little allowance that I got, which I remember being about, I think it was like 50 cents or a dollar a month or a week, I'm not sure, but it was very, very little. And I remember the only place that um, we really ever went shopping, like the only store we ever really went to, because we were in such a small town, there wasn't even in a, a gas station in our town. <laughs> um, so, but I remember going to the grocery store with my mom or my dad and buying Trident gum. And that was like, that was my treat of the, of the week. And I would, I would, um, I was, very conscious of like making that stick of or that pack of gum last until the next time I got my allowance. So I had, even though I didn't have a lot of money to work with, the way it took shape for me was just um, being very careful about how much I was using and sort of monitoring my consumption of my, of the gum. And um, so I always had kind of a, internal uh, concern or um, fear of running out or of using it up too quickly or so that was just in and have being a parent a mother to children i really <laughs> there's no denying that we come into the world with different um, temperaments and different ways of being with money and they're just kind of innate um, or they're not ways of being with money, but they translate into how we operate with money. So I had that kind of sense of um, managing and saving and hoarding money and the fear of um, not having more, you know, like when would I get more and, and trusting that. And that sort of persisted throughout um, my young adult life and um, and is something that I'm out still outgrowing. It's it's faded significantly, but it still it still shows up. So I don't know. That that's one of kind of the primary primary beliefs that I remember from early childhood through my um, teen years and then my young adult years as well. 
So that's one, one of many, but yeah. <laughs> I appreciated what you said about how it is important to talk about, but not something that we talk about very much. And I, I feel like it's kind of like how our culture is with sex. It's like, totally. it's everywhere yeah. and everyone's obsessed with it, but mm-hmm. no one has real conversations about it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And there's so yeah. many big, difficult feelings that in our culture, we often find really difficult and challenging um, feelings yeah. that come up around it. And um, even just when I was reading, I really like your blog and when I was reading posts and had downloaded one of your, it was, it starts with an A. I know that uh, what yeah. it would have been called. Um, I think it's, it's just my align with plenty yes. guide. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I was yeah. reading through that and I was noticing, like, I was feeling sad and scared and mm. like, I noticed all, especially kind of like thinking thinking back on memories, thinking about people that I love, thinking about people I don't even know, but I know are suffering. Like Mm. I was just feeling sadness, fear, guilt, shame, like all of this stuff. Oh yeah. 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 Is that something that you encounter a lot with the people that you Mm -hmm. work with in your coaching? Yes. All the time. And I think the, um, you're absolutely right. It is, um, it's, it's, almost harder. I mean, sex and money, (laughs) both of those topics are really, really hard. And to, to talk about, um, and to be honest about, even though we as a culture are obsessed by them and talk about them all the time, talk about those two topics all the time in the abstract. Um, but the shame and, uh, guilt and, um, fear and anxiety about money, all of those, all of those are a part of how um, secret that whole topic has become. It's, it is, it fe- that we have a lot of shame about it because we don't talk about it very much. And if we can normalize that we are all, and, and I would say, I would say almost all of us feel shame in some way about money. And it's about um, what what I find is that the shame, it it's very common for the shame to show up when our situation is different from our social group, either that we have more money or less money um, than our social group or the, the people that we spend the most time with or uh, the culture that we were raised in, the community that we were raised in. And so it's often when there's a disparity between those two, that the shame just amplifies and becomes really, really challenging. And so there's a, there's that element of, um, belonging to a group that creates a lot of shame. Um, so again, making more money than your social circle or making less money than your social circle or having more money or having less money can cause a lot of shame and anxiety and fear. Something that I talked about in the podcast with a previous guest, um, Maya Sanyal, she is an English professor and a career coach and she's in her forties. I'm right at the end of my twenties at 29, but Mm -hmm. we both talked about being as 
very young adults, like right out of high school or right out of college being very idealistic and almost in the same way, like there's that sex purity culture, this uh -huh. like sense of money is like dirty and bad and corrupt yeah. and people yeah. do terrible things with money and money causes so much suffering yeah. and war and like awful, awful things. I'm just mm -hmm. going to try to be separate from it. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but realizing yeah. as you grow up, like, of course you're not separate from it. And it's actually a very privileged thing, even though I, I don't, we talked about kind of being in this place of like having enough that your survival needs are met. Mm -hmm. Um, not so much that wealth is something that you can even conceive of. Mm -hmm. And so, <laughs> um, just becoming, very avoided. Like I'm just yes. going to try to skate yeah. by. Cause like my survival yeah. needs are met. I'm, I'm privileged in many ways yes. at the same time. I don't want anything to do with it. And I'm scared of it. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel exactly. like this must be common yeah. for a lot yes. of people. It, it is, it is. And that, that rejection of the system, whether it's the money system or anything attached to that, um, it's a strategy for not confronting our relationship mm -hmm. with money. And um, and there's actually a term called noble poverty, which mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of that, but um, where there's that um, sort of ideal idealization of what not having money can look like when my one of my missions in in my work is to help people who are um who want to operate in a different system to invite them to heal their relationship with money so that they can gain access and allow more wealth into their lives and be the ones making different decisions, having wealth look very different than the modeling that we have in our culture right now. So, but the, the turning our, turning our heads to it, that is a, a fear response or a, a rejection of what is possible rather than a reclaiming and an empowered uh, conscious decision mm -hmm. from it. So yeah, avoidance is something I know intimately well <laughs> in many areas. So it's yeah. like, I really <laughs> do feel like the way you approach anything is like how you approach everything. Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah. I see that in myself and I'm just, and, and what I think is interesting is like the noble poverty ideas, like I've, I, I, as much as I could be like, oh, I don't want to be like one of those people. Like, ugh, wealth is gross. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I don't actually want to be poor, and I don't want to be right. scared, right. and I want to have healthcare, and I want to, you yeah. know, like. So, yeah. it's not usually like I'm not, you know. So many of us are not. We're not leading these radical lives of like. Right. I live off of this amount, and I live in a van, and I, you know, mm -hmm. right. we're just kind of avoiding. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious, like, how you help people turn to actually look at, because I feel like mm -hmm. I just hear my therapist's voice in my head, just being uh -huh. like, look at it and just notice, right? Like, just mm -hmm. just look at your bank statement, <laughs> you right. know, just look at <laughs> right. Um, how you're right. feeling and just notice and how do you kind of help people who have struggled at times with yeah. just even looking at it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
um, there are so many different, so many different inroads. And I would say, you know, if, well, for you, because you're describing yourself as avoidant, but anyone else listening who is feeling that sense of, it, it can be either avoidance that's sort of, um, neutral, or it can be a charged avoidance where there's, um, almost a shutdown or, a, a a trauma response from a prior experience of either being shamed or overwhelmed or um, whatever the narrative might be of uh, whatever the personal narrative might be with their own history with money. Um, so this helps no matter what, but I would say, especially if you are someone who can't open a bank statement, um, has a hard time looking at um, your credit card bill, anything, any of that like extreme avoidance, it's really important to give yourself sort of a bridge of sensory, like a sensory inroad where you are creating a space that actually feels safer to you. And that can be just like putting on some really nice music when you go to log on to your bank account or you're like wearing something that's really soft and cozy or you making yourself something nice to drink. It's really important to give yourself um, something soothing on the way to looking at something that's hard to look at. And I find that to be really helpful. So coupling that really challenging activity with something that is actually softer and more soothing. So that's one just gentle way that you can kind of say, look, this is a hard thing for me. And I also um, acknowledge that it's really important to me as well. So um, and then it is it's about noticing and observing and just giving yourself um, permission to spend some time just just looking and not analyzing or judging or <laughs> making something wrong, but just engaging with maybe a part of your money. So it's like this week, I'm just going to take a look at, um, I'm just going to add up what I spend on X, Y, or Z expense because I'm curious about it. And I would choose something kind of neutral that's not uh, really charged that you already feel some shame about, but like, hey, I'm curious how much, how much have I been spending on my utilities? How much do I spend on my gas um, for my car? Something very neutral and just using that as an inroad and then, and then getting the feedback um, the emotional feedback, like, do I feel um, guilty? Do I feel shame? Do I feel like, where, where is my, where is the needle on my emotional radar? And using that, like, huh, I wonder why I feel that way about that expense. And just doing your best, and it's, it's hard to do on your own, but either walking away from it, if it feels, if it, if it starts to feel too charged, or um, coming back to it, you know, coming back to it later, but just just knowing that it's okay. Like if you're just now turning toward your money, it's okay for it to go a little bit slowly. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a radical, you know, jumping off the cliff into the unknown abyss. You know, it, it, you can do it in steps. And that um, I think is important um, yeah. for people to know. Yeah. I. 
I feel like it can be such an overwhelming experience. And I think that that gentleness and patience and slowness that you're talking about, I think about like my 22 year old self, like graduating from college, no savings, but like $45,000 of student loan debt, you know, and like looking at entry-level nonprofit jobs, because that's where my, like, I felt like I wanted to be. And just being like, I mean, (laughs) overwhelmed and also no real financial literacy, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, and when I feel like at 29 now, I can be like, I have more perspective to know that things can change. Things can get better. You can learn. Um, Like when I, when I heard at 22, like I might pay off all of this debt by the time I'm maybe 32. I was like, what? <laughs> like, that's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be so old. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> it's hilarious to think yeah. about now. But right. right. Especially you when no, you know, yeah, you have no context right. for what those numbers, what those numbers mean. Yeah. Yeah. So that patience and slowness is really hard when like mm-hmm. you just don't have as much experience yet in general. And yeah. time is like, I, I don't know. Everything yeah. feels like it needs to be fixed now. And you, right. and the only right. answer is like, it's not going to be now. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And um, yes. And, and the immediate shutdown, you know, mm-hmm. that, that happens when you look at those big numbers or it feels so, so unattainable, you know, whether it's a savings goal or paying off your student loans um, or even just paying rent for the first mm-hmm. time or coming up with the security deposit, you know, mm-hmm. like all of those things can feel incredibly daunting. And um, just like with, you know, kind of turning toward your money, whether you're just turning toward your online banking or uh, your credit card statement or whatever, also taking that same slow turn toward um incremental changes, you know, like, all right, maybe I can't um, pay all of this debt off in five years the way I thought I would be able to, but I'm going to start paying this. And then as soon as I can, I'm going to be adding $20 a month and accelerate that. So, you know, not seeing it, it just, just really, and this is what I do with my clients all the time is exploring exploring the middle, you know, it's not um, like we get so attached to the, the overwhelm. Oh my God, that's too overwhelming. I'm just going to shut down. And and that's just a natural human response that we have, or um, I have to do everything all at once. And so just really exploring that mid range of, okay, what it, what would it look like if I took this in smaller steps and smaller bites? And, and that goes for, anything, you know, the tangible things. And then also, you know, when you look at having a different relationship with money, that also happens slowly over time, not in a weekend or in an evening. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm constantly thinking about that concept of the middle and like being able to exist and be okay there. And I think, yeah, I think we're so flooded with like exceptional stories that yeah, it's um, we always feel like we should be exceptional. Yes, yes. <laughs> and per- and we're in such a perfectionistic mm-hmm. culture that yeah, I feel like we also are in this culture of like restriction, like especially mm-hmm. for women thinking about 
how women, how people talk about food and uh-huh. how restrictive like certain diets yes. can be in this pursuit of perfect health and a perfect yes. body. And, yes. um, I think sometimes like I can feel such like anger, like I could earlier in my twenties, I would vacillate so much between restriction and just like, mm-hmm. we'll just forget it then. Yep. Yep. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. And it is so similar to diet culture mm-hmm. and, um, and that, yeah, that frugality, the, the budgeting, um, restriction, you're bad if you spend like it's culturally, uh, it's culturally accepted and celebrated when someone doesn't spend very mm-hmm. much money. And when someone saves a lot of money and uh, and for good reason in a way, but also <laughs> the detriment of um, really learning what that middle ground is for yourself. And to me, that's the exploration. And it's so individual. It's, you know, you and I could have very different, a very different gauge of what spending too much looks like and for different things. And I think it's fascinating to explore like what you're really, and it, it's always in alignment with your value system typically, or, or what you value most in your life, where you will just, you will spend money without questioning it for a second, you will spend money, but spending the exact same amount of money in a different category is like, oh my God, that's so <laughs> irresponsible. And so, hor- you know, like, no way would I ever spend that much money. And just as an example, um, just because it followed me for a long time on this on this note, when I was in high school, I had this thing of like, I wouldn't spend more than $20 on a pair of pants. Like I just <laughs> thought that was ridiculous to spend more than $20 <laughs> on a pair of pants. Also, I'm in my mid 40s, so it was quite a while ago, but still, I, <laughs> I was just horrified by the idea. And that lasted for, for years. And I would easily spend, you know, I would easily spend a few hundred dollars on something for our house, but I still couldn't spend more than $20 on a pair of pants. It was just <laughs> ridiculous. Like it was so outdated, but it was just, it stuck with me. And so sometimes we'll have those, we'll have those thresholds of what is okay to spend or not okay to spend um on a particular category but the the like doors blow off on another category Mm -hmm. so it's it can be really interesting to use that as a lens of like what oh this is something i value this is something i don't value and and making that okay and not um projecting that judgment onto somebody else and how they are choosing to spend their money um because it may be absolutely in alignment for them and, and not for us. So. Yeah. It's amazing how immediate the stories and the judgments, um, are when, when you, when you do look at, decide to actually look at and think about what you're doing. It's amazing how quickly we can, at least I can, I think other people can just start judging your yep. ju- judging myself, um, mm-hmm. telling myself a really scary story about yep. the future or, um, whatever it may be. And, um, it really is like a nervous system exercise, right? Like you were saying to like, get really gentle. Um, and I've, I noticed that you, 
have a lot of blog posts about the holidays and like holiday spending. Mm. And I think we're at this interesting time here. We are in the first, first week, well, just out of the first week of January. I don't even know what day it is anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so we're like post Christmas and at the beginning of the year where people might have just spent a lot of money potentially, Mm -hmm. and might also be like in a new year's resolution type of mindset like, but now I'm going to get it together. Yeah. Yeah. And it does feel like that moment where you could try to, you could be swinging between extremes right now. Like we were just saying, Yeah. like, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts for people about kind of like centering a little bit more in the Mm. middle. Um, at this time of year in particular. Yes, no, you're absolutely right about that. And, um, and I think it is just like, I do, I have written a lot about the holidays because it is such a charged time. And because people are so um, sort of pulled in from an emotional standpoint, it's it's probably the the height of emotional spending is Mm -hmm. around the holidays. And then uh, you know, just from a cultural perspective that like vacillating between the two extremes of excessive uh, or excess and then restriction and excess and restriction and that, um, and so finding that center point is really like, whether it is you are just emerging from the holidays or just getting back from a vacation where you maybe spent more than you thought you were going to spend um to and then you say i'm not spending anything for the next month you know we have lots of those moments throughout the year where there's sort of the like a lot of spending and then the restriction after it and to me one of the healthiest ways to um, engage with that whenever it may happen for for any of you listening, the um, is to come in from the eyes wide open. Let me just look at what I did spend and evaluate it or just look at it kind of neutrally. What actually happened so that you can see it really cleanly and clearly. No um, denial and no uh, fantasy about what that number actually was. And it's hard, it's hard to be honest and to actually look at those numbers, but that's actually the most powerful place that you can then move forward. So it can take a little bit to collect those numbers and and you may do that really specifically, you may do it just generally, but I would say do the best you can to get as clear as you can about what you did spend and then and then evaluate, like, how do I feel about that number? Does that make me sick to my stomach? Or does that feel okay? When I think about what it was like, you know, for the recipients of the gifts that I got, did it equate to what I spent? Does that, do I want to make any changes going forward? And then it's about reorienting to the future. What do, what would I, you know, now that I can see that number and I can see the changes that I'd like to make, how do I alter that for next year? Because that's, it's such valuable information. And we're so good at just turning, turning away up oh, that happened, you know, mm-hmm. that happened and I'm just going to keep marching forward. And next year, I'm definitely going to spend less, mm-hmm. but there's no, that's such a, 
it's it's like it's like a hope and a prayer. It's not <laughs> grounded. It's not um, it's not clear and focused. And so if you can look at it and you can say, okay, last year I spent, let's say five hundred dollars, and next year, you know, I really that that doesn't feel like it's in alignment with my goals um, and what's possible for me. So I'm going to have a goal of spending three hundred instead. So then, you know, that becomes the goal. And maybe, you know, if you, if like for my clients, that becomes, we're going to save this much money each month mm. to be prepared for next Christmas so that it's not like you're spending your bonus, your year end bonus on gifts mm. over the holidays. So that honest, grounded evaluation of what actually happened is is kind of like the one of the more powerful steps that you can take. Mm -hmm. It's a hard step, but it's one of the most important steps from my perspective, because it gets you into the truth and into the eyes wide open, um, you know, what is actually happening and what is actually realistic for you. Yeah. It feels like self-compassion is so important in that process. Oh because... my gosh. So important. <laughs> yeah. I, I loved your, you had a post about, it was like maybe from a couple of years ago, but be, when you're buying gifts, like before, before you purchase the gift, like questions to ask yourself about like yeah. your intention, Yeah, like, which is again, like so important in any part of your life, like just pausing and breathing and asking like, mm -hmm. why am I about to do the thing I'm about to do? Yeah, And the question of like, am I giving this gift to try to make up for something? Yes. Um, which is such a powerful thing for me because like being honest with yourself about it, though it can be painful is like the only way that maybe you'll think to yourself, Hmm, instead of like spending all that money on that gift for that person, maybe in the future, I want to spend time with them once mm -hmm. a month because right. I feel like I haven't spent enough time with that person, right. you know, right. and you can only get there by being honest, like you said, with yourself yeah. about yeah. what's going on. And, and being compassionate about yeah. the impulse that drove whatever spending right. was there, like, of course, of, and, and especially for parents, um, mm -hmm. you know, especially this year after the pandemic, you know, it's like, the impulse to make it better with money and a gift is a beautiful impulse. And it's acknowledging that impulse and having compassion for that impulse um, and being honest about whether that did fulfill what you wanted it to fulfill. And it may have, or it may not have landed in the way that you had hoped. And then reevaluating, especially with certain people there's a different way that I want to connect with them or I love connecting with them in by giving them a, a really beautiful gift. But we don't get there unless we give ourselves the space for that um, for that honest reflection and coupling it with a lot of compassion for for why you understanding why you made that decision, because it's not a bad decision. Right it may have had consequences, but it's not from a, from a bad place. Right. And so if you can sort of separate the two, like this was a, a beautiful decision or beautiful impulse, and it had this consequence that I'd rather not repeat, mm -hmm. 
beautiful. You take that with you for the rest of your life and that becomes a part of a, a new way that you're relating to your money and making different choices in the future. Yeah. yeah, I think that's so helpful. I also had a guest maybe two years ago. It was my uncle, Paul Finn, and uh-huh. um, he was talking about um, his habit of smoking cigarettes and like acknowledging the impulse was actually a good impulse. I want to calm down. I want to socialize with other people who take, I want to take a break. Like all of these things are good impulses, but then looking at his health, do I want to smoke cigarettes? Yeah. I don't want to do that anymore, but it's coming from very good impulses, right? Yes, exactly. Cause, cause we we're always striving to, um, achieve the best for ourselves. It's just, we may have a sort of a sideways route that we're Mm -hmm. trying to travel to get there. Um, And so it's just that honest reflection without, um, with compassion and reducing the shame is just being, becoming conscious of what that pathway is and whether you want to, you know, and then asking yourself, do I want to travel that, that same path or do I want to carve a new path? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest, um, the biggest challenges in our culture that that is just always there is our is the influence of marketing and TV and friends and and so a lot of the shame that we feel is we make it so personal that mm-hmm. we've made these bad decisions when we aren't looking at sort of the the wider context of all of the images that I am absorbing unconsciously about what Christmas should look like, what the holidays should look like, what a vacation should look like, what my apartment should look like, all of those messages are part of the unconscious impulse driver. Mm -hmm. And so do we have agency? Of course we do, but not until we get, we're, we're conscious of like looking at that, um, looking at what is firing that impulse and questioning it for ourselves and knowing that um, we have to make that evaluation for ourselves. Is this, is this the best for us or am I just acting on this is what it's supposed to look like. So many Christmas stories and movies are about, it's not about the presents. It's right. not about the money, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. but like it's, it just shows the, the, the disconnect between what we outwardly say and what we all mm-hmm. know based on right. everything else that's going on. <laughs> right. right. Um, and I think it's kind of a similar thing with like, if feeling like, oh, I have this distaste for money and uh, people who have, you know, wealth. And, and I think we are actually in a time where it's becoming more and more kind of mainstream to be really critical of capitalism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, you're still a part of it. And like, you can be saying that outwardly, but you still, your actions might still be very much, um, like kind of influenced and your behavior gets still very influenced by all that marketing and things like that. And so I'm kind of curious how you work with people who have that very strong, like sense of there's so much that's wrong with our systems. Mm -hmm. There's so much that's not just, there's so much racial inequality. There's Mm -hmm. inequality based on gender, things like that. Um, when that is like very deep seated kind of how you approach that. Yeah. Yeah. And 
Um, and I think the expression of capitalism in our culture in this country is so beyond, it's so extreme. The wealth disparity is so extreme and there aren't caps on what, you know, a Jeff Bezos makes versus the lowest paid employee. And that translates into, you know, stagnant wage growth, the, the wealth gap, um, so many very real undeniable inequalities that um, we have to grapple with in our culture. Mm -hmm. And it's, to me, it's about, um, it's about reconciling our role in that and, and also acknowledging that it is also internal. It is also our relationship with money so that we are exploring that shadow of what we find um, abhorrent about the system and that we are looking at the ways that we may be perpetuating it in our own lives and again being i mean this is kind of next level honesty but being honest about about the ways that we are engaged in it and making peace with that because mm -hmm like it or not i mean you know we could opt out but mo more like we will be in this reality for probably both of our lives mm -hmm. even though that you're younger even if there's a radical evolution of our economy which i'm i believe is possible and i'm hoping that it happens in in my lifetime I still know that it will be generations before capitalism has internally uh, fled our, <laughs> our, like what is inherited from my great, great, great grandchildren about my relationship with money. And I know we haven't touched on that, but it is a huge part of what we are working out. And part of our relationship with money is what we inherited from our right. parents and our grandparents um, implicitly about, right. um, about what money means. So yes, I have so many clients who are in their own conflict and tension about what their role is. And, um, sometimes to an extreme of not wanting, I work with a lot of people who are self-employed and people who don't, um, feel comfortable charging money for their services or who feel very conflicted about promoting mm -hmm. what their uh what their offers are because they don't want to participate in this system because it is so corrupt in so many ways and yet uh that is also a rejection of power rather than a reclamation of power yes. and to me it's so crucial that within the system, we kind of transform it individually, collectively, um, where we feel empowered, where those, those who have that um, call to a different moral compass are the ones with power and are yielding that power in a completely different way. And truly like in this, in this system, we don't have agency in the way that we may want without that power, without that money. And um, 
so much more can be done if we have money <laughs> to work yes. with, even if that's just taking care of ourselves mm -hmm. so that we are meeting our needs, we are meeting our family's needs, and we are, um, we are in a different relationship with money as individuals. So it, to me, it's just the, it's individual and it's collective, and we can't turn our backs to either one. Um, it, and we are, I think, in a you know, 50 year, 100 year, 200 year evolution of what our economic system is. So yes, thank you. That was beautifully put. <laughs> and <laughs> I feel like it really is. So it takes a lot of maturity to be like, I'm part of this too. And I have to know it if I want any hope of changing at yeah. the very least my role in it, right? Yes. You can't change yes. what you don't know. Yes. And so I'm just curious for people who are like, I don't know anything. Like I hear people talk about investments and I'm like, mm -hmm. ah, uh -huh. <laughs> I, I, am, I don't have that brain, you know, I'm not, yeah. I don't have that mind for it. Mm. I don't get it. I don't know where to start. Yeah. There's yeah. so much information and it's kind of yeah. like with the internet now, Mm -hmm. You can, there's a million podcasts yep. about money. There's a yep. million blogs. Yep. So where do you suggest that people start? People I, that's start. probably a yeah. terrible question. No, it's an excellent <laughs> question and it needs to be asked and it needs yeah. to be shared because, um, because it is so overwhelming. There mm -hmm. are, you know, we have access to more information than we've ever had. Yeah. And, um, and yet we never got any education in our <laughs> mm -hmm. school systems, uh, compounding the shame because it's like, they don't, no one sets you up for success. And then it's like, and why are um, you failing? Why are you failing? What's wrong with you? <laughs> exactly. And then, and then we personalize the shame. Oh my God, I'm so bad with money. And there hasn't been any guidance. So, um, so first of all, if you are just terrified of investments or you don't know where to start, you're not alone. And you, it is our responsibility to, to begin, to take, to start looking, to start turning toward our money. So I would say, I mean, there are, again, there are a gazillion places to start. I, um, my approach is very gentle and um, non-shaming, and that's really important to me uh, in terms of books that like sort of beginning books, you know, like an idiot's guide to personal finance. That's always a good start. Actually, my favorite book, and the only reason I hesitate is that the language is it, like his language is a little bit um, a little bit shaming in different places, but also fabulous, a fabulous first book is, um, the second edition of, I will teach you to be rich, um, which sounds off putting, but it's actually a fabulous, fabulous takes you through every single step that you would need to go through. And it talks a lot about investing. And even if you got the book, just to learn about investing. It's a great first resource. And, um, and I think anyone who reads that would feel confident taking steps, um, powerful steps. And especially for, um, for all of you in your twenties, early thirties, 
your biggest asset is time and your age, mm. truly your biggest asset. So if you're starting now, you are leagues ahead of the people who are in their mid forties, in their early fifties, all of a sudden waking up to the fact that they haven't been looking at their money and that they only have a certain number of earning years left and they want, um, and you have to save <laughs> like three times as much a month at that age mm -hmm. than you will if you start now. So that's probably my, my top recommendation for people who are younger is uh, to start, to start with that book. Thank you. That's yeah. helpful. There's also <laughs> one podcast that I like is called frugal friends and mm. it's two women about my age. One of them is a social awesome. worker by, yeah. um, by day, I guess, uh -huh. <laughs> but they're uh -huh. great. Um, but something that you said about responsibility and planning for the future, I think for myself as someone very oriented, uh, who experiences a lot of anxiety. And so the future, mm -hmm. I'm often oriented towards fear as opposed uh -huh. to like, yeah, oh, good things could come, yeah. <laughs> you right. know, right. Um, I think that that planning, um, like a taking responsibility can be scary. And like the mm -hmm. more that you have, the more responsibility mm. you yep. have. Yep. And if yep. you're investing, how do you make sure it's responsible, socially conscious right. investing? Yes. Like yes, yes, all yes. of these questions arise. Yeah. yeah. And then you think about things you don't want to think about. Like what if something happens to my house, my car, my health, mm. my loved ones? <laughs> um, you know, so I think, I'm just thinking about how like your relationship to responsibility and to um, thinking about the future is yeah. really huge in all of it too. Yeah, yeah, it is. And oh my gosh, just what you said about like looking into the future and um, and the fear that is associated with that, it, it is very fear inducing to think about. And um, one of the most powerful thing, one of the most powerful exercises I do with clients is to actually step into that fear with them and to actually put numbers to those fears. Mm -hmm. What if my car needed a lot of work? It's always and the car. <laughs> I had a medical emergency and I had, to fly unexpectedly to a family member. And I had to blah, blah, blah. We will spell out all of those, all of those events and give it a total. So it's a finite amount. And then that becomes a really clear goal that you can then work toward. And you're not gonna get there immediately, but at least it, it's a way to tame your brain from spinning out in that fear spiral mm -hmm. to actually ground it in the numbers. Oh, I need $5,000 in reserve and I would be able to meet four big emergencies. Mm -hmm. And that can really settle that anxiety and help it, um, help it rest so that in the middle of the night, when you start going down that path, you then remind yourself, and I have a plan for that, or I already have the savings that will cover that, I'm okay. Mm. So it's actually, it, it's kind of counterintuitive because we, we feel like if we step into that conversation that causes so much fear, that it will just escalate and have no end to it. Right. 
And the numbers actually quiet the mind and help the mind, even if it's just a goal and a plan and you're saving $20 a month toward that goal, that is a way to give yourself assurance that you are not only taking responsibility, but that you are um, mitigating mm. that fear to the best of your ability. You know, again, mm. it doesn't necessarily happen overnight, but knowing it and looking at it honestly and seeing it clearly, um, the numbers can be really, really grounding and the antidote mm. to that fear spiral. And I would imagine that um, the the other side of the coin is like letting yourself imagine good things as well, yes. right? Yes. Letting yourself envision yes. what might I want exactly my life to look like or what, exactly. right? Yeah. Yeah. What do I envision in the next five years, in the next 10 years? Um, and giving appropriate attention to those things and making sure that they come to fruition as well. Yeah. And to, yeah, to not, I mean, I don't use the word budget. I use the word spending plan, you know, mm -hmm. conscious spending plan. Um, because I am not about, you know, whittling all spending down to the bone. I actually encourage my clients often to spend more money, which sounds very counterintuitive, but, but I do because in, um, there is a place for more money to be spent mm. that is in alignment with your goals and how you need to live your life to mm. be, to have it be in fulfillment. Mm. Is that more so for your clients who are afraid of um, spending money or is it kind of across the board, but just being intentional about it? Correct. It's, it's across the board being intentional. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And, and to me, it's about finding that aligned spending point mm -hmm. you know, where it's in alignment with your, um, your goals for your life. It's in alignment with what is doable financially and it's in alignment with, um, how you feel about it. Mm. Yeah. So I'm always interested in how we are growing up, you know, over the course of our lifetimes, like there's never a point mm. where you arrive and you're done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm just curious, and this, this could be related to things that we're talking about, or it could be totally unrelated, but what is something that you are learning about or growing into in your mm -hmm. life right now? Well, that is a good question. And yes, I mean, <laughs> we never, we never stop, nor should we ever stop growing and evolving and, and, um, and exploring the new avenues and the new chapters of our lives. Um, it's such a healthy attitude to have, um, or outlook on life. Um, so in my immediate, so I'll, I'll give you two. So one is, um, like a, a growth edge is um, I am, I used to downhill ski when I was younger and now I'm cross country skiing and um, I just got myself new skis and I'm gonna go tomorrow. And I've been a few times, but I'm not very good. So I'm excited to like be in that awkward, um, that awkward phase of, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> being proficient, but actually wanting to, to be become much better mm -hmm. at uh, cross country skiing. So 
that's in in my play personal life and in my professional life it is um i think just really stretching my own uh comfort being more visible being seen mm -hmm. that's been a really challenging part of my own personal um history and that is that's where i'm testing the edges in fairly radical ways that people might not see for a while but mm -hmm. on the you know that, that i'm working on <laughs> so yeah I yeah. definitely relate to that second one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good. It's good. It's good for me to be in the discomfort of that, um, that learning phase, because I know when clients come to me, they're in the discomfort of that growth phase with their money. Right. And um, so, yes. Yeah. It's okay to make a mistake and then course correct. Yes. You know, as opposed to not doing it at all. Not doing right. it at all. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of us were conditioned to be very, um, you know, to not say the wrong thing or to not make a fuss or not make a mistake. Mm -hmm. And so unlearning that is, um, is the, the work yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so yeah. much. Mm, you're so welcome. You're so welcome. I'm so appreciative that you came on and um, looking forward to re-listening to this myself. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at perennialspodcast, and feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit a Moon by Paul Finn.